Good morning, St. Clair. My name is Marseille Grun, and I'm going to be sharing some thoughts with you this morning. When I was asked to speak this summer, and I was told it was about um, a summer of Psalms, I immediately thought that I'd like to uh, preach on Psalm 103. It's a psalm that we read every week before we go to the Lord's table and take communion. Sometimes when we read and repeat the same words every Sunday, they can become rote and void of meaning. For this reason, I wanted to spend some time with you steeping in these 22 verses. Usually when I write a sermon, I spend a lot of time reading sources and researching what other people have to say about the scripture. But this time, I felt inclined just to keep it simple. Essentially, what I'm about to share is something that I might write in my journal or scribble in the margins of my Bible. Join me as we move our way through Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all of your sins and heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower in the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. This psalm is a psalm of praise to God. It's a psalm that exalts his infinite care as our father, as well as his indisputable rule as king over everything and every being. It spends time counting his blessings and reminds us that he counts our sins no more. It demonstrates God's mercy to us as sinners and as frail, fleeting human beings. Psalm 103 is predominantly about God's love and compassion, 
but it makes us subtly aware that although short-lived and rare, God does get angry too. The psalm ends with the sense that his creatures do what he requires. In the first two verses, the psalmist, King David, seems to be in an elevated state. He was praising from his gut and with profound affection. He's saying to God from the core of his being, like he had transcended his flesh and was close to heaven. He felt intimately close to God and moved to the depths by God's character and his goodness. He offered up his soul to his God, his soul being the very part of him that God most desired. And out of this fount of amazement, David begins to count his blessings. One, God forgives all our sins. Two, God heals our diseases. Three, the Lord redeems our lives from the pit. Four, he crowns us with love and compassion. Five, God satisfies our desires with good things. Six, the Lord renews our youth like the eagles. When David numbered the good things in his life, he was an old man. He had the benefit of perspective and the gratitude of a person who had been forgiven his sins, the sins of his flesh like murder and adultery, but also the sins in his heart like pride and lust. There may be days when we have a difficult time identifying what are the benefit, what the benefits are of having God as our father and king. And it's evident from other Psalms that David also struggled to worship sometimes, and he had his fair share of bad days. But this psalm, this psalm was written on a good day. The centrality of praising God is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. In our darkest times, we don't always understand what God is doing or what the point is of the events that are unfolding in our lives or in the world. But we hold on to the truth that he is good and that he is orchestrating the best out of what sometimes seems impossible or horrific circumstances. This, and I often think this too, may sound like a simplistic answer to complex realities. But God the Lord, our Lord Almighty, he is the hope that we need to hold on to. Without this hope, life is empty and pointless. As I started to devote my time to Psalm 103 many weeks ago, I read verses 8 and 9. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. I marvel at God's compassion, his grace, and his love, but I also find myself reading between those lines, and as such, I, I put these like parentheses in there. And I read, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, but he does get angry, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, but he does accuse sometimes, nor will he harbor his anger forever, but he'll harbor it for a little while. I opened up my old NIV study Bible, similar to what Michelle referred to uh, last week, and, um, and I saw that my teenage self has scribbled these same sentiments in the margin. So maybe it just speaks to my tendency to be jaded sometimes. God does get angry, 
But the nature of God's anger is slow and his accusations are temporary. They serve a purpose. Um, they, they highlight a wrongdoing or, or, or maybe something like a trespass. But upon repentance and resolution, his anger and his accusation, they dissipate and all is forgotten. The experience of anger and the impulse to accuse cannot last forever. It needs to produce justice and righteousness. It needs to be about God's glory and God's name. If no good comes out of our anger and our accusation, if we find ourselves frequently angry or always accusing, if it only serves to inflame others or is just constantly simmering inside of us, it cannot be from God. Like God, when and if we experience these emotions, they should be rare and brief. If anger and accusation are behaviors that you struggle with, cry out to God, talk to him, pray to him, talk to someone you trust, and try to sort out what is fueling those reactions. God is slow to anger, and he accuses only briefly. His, his dominant traits are grace and compassion, and the pinnacle of his essence is love. God is love. Let's read verses 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I have a father and a boyfriend who are fascinated by the universe. So I know quite well that the heavens are high, like really high above the earth and above us. But for David, the heavens would have been that single unit of sun and moon and sky and stars that he could see above him. When he wrote these words, David would not have known that the heavens are actually 46 billion light years above us. One light year equals 9.5 trillion kilometers. David didn't know this, but God did. This incomprehensible vastness represents how great God's love is for us. His love is mind-blowing. It's as huge as 46 billion times 9.5 trillion kilometers high. And when David wrote that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his transgressions from us, it would have been for him as far as the sun rises to where the sun sets. He probably didn't realize that east and west are a continuum, that east will never meet west and west will never meet east. If you start walking east, you will always be walking east. It will never turn to west. David didn't write, as far as the north is from the south, so far has he removed his transgressions from us. North and south are fixed points. If you walk to the North Pole, you'll hit the North Pole, and then a few feet afterwards, you'll start walking south. North and south meet each other. David didn't know these things, but God did. The point is that once God forgives us, our sins go one way, east, and we go the other way, west, and they'll never cross paths again. Embracing this truth, we can approach God's throne and his table with confidence, knowing that he is faithful and ready to forgive us. 
The next verses, 13 to 16, remind us that humans are frail and fleeting. We don't like to see ourselves this way, but it only took a microscopic virus called COVID-19 to remind us of our frailty. We are dust. We are grass. We are flowers in a field. We don't last long, and it doesn't take much to take us down. It is this very feebleness that stirs God's compassion toward us. Verse 13 and 14 say, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, and he remembers that we are dust. The heart of a good parent always turns towards his child, towards their child. I'm blessed for my whole life. I've had parents that have been compassionate to me. When I've been deathly sick or crippled from back pain, they've tended to me. When I've been brokenhearted from failed relationships, crises at work or at my, in my living situations, they have hugged me, they have cried with me, they have prayed with me, they've called me, they've opened up their home to me, they've picked me up from airports and moved me countless times. If earthly parents can have this kind of limitless compassion for their child, how much more boundless is the endless compassion of a changeless Father God? Perhaps another way you could relate to the compassion that God feels towards us is to recall that feeling that we get when we look into the eyes of a puppy. There is actually something scientific about puppy eyes that melts and triggers our empathy for it. It's kind of the same way with God. He looks at, looks at us and he immediately considers our vulnerability and our neediness, our need for protection. Now, you may find it deflating to see our bodies as vulnerable and our lives as momentary, but these verses offer hope as well. The wind blows over the flower and it's gone, but while it's in the field, it flourishes. And when we fade from this earth, God's love doesn't. It remains with us from everlasting to everlasting. In his righteousness, it stays with our children's children. We will fade and we will die, but we are not of those who have no hope. The hope we have in Christ is an anchor for our souls. It is firm and it is secure. Psalm 103 starts with counting our blessings, tells us about our good father, and it wraps up reminding us that God is also king. The Lord is with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you servants who do his will. Obey his precepts, obey his word. Mighty ones who do his bidding and servants who do his will. If these were the only words that I read about God, I would question, who is this who commands obedience and bids me to do what he wants? My dad is endlessly on me to check my tire pressure. Every time I go home, every time I see him, he says, have you checked your tires lately? Did you check your tires? Make sure you check your tire pressure. Don't forget to check your tires. 
He is bidding me to do this, not because he's a tyrant who wants me to do his will, but because he cares about me and my car. I'm not sure in what order sometimes. Just kidding, Dad. Um, but he doesn't want to see me stranded with a flat tire or riding on my rims and ruining them. Similarly with God, he puts commands and his precepts in place because he loves us and he knows what, what it takes for us to flourish. He's a loving father, and therefore, we can also obey him as a sovereign king. Our God is both father and king. He is Lord to be praised by his angels, by every mighty one, every heavenly host, by all his works everywhere in his dominion. Psalm 103 is a song of praise to God, a psalm about God, father and king. We are short-lived beings who flourish under God's care. Psalm 103 demonstrates God's mercy to us both as sinners and as frail humans. Psalm 103 is predominantly about God's love and compassion, but there are understated hints that his anger is there, but it's momentary. It reminds us to hold our blessings close and our sins at a distance. In light of this psalm, draw near to God and approach his communion table with confidence. Like David, may we praise the Lord from the core of our being because this is what God wants more than anything, our affection and the whole of our hearts. Amen. God bless you, St. Clair.